Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. The next 10 minutes are inspired by a tutoring career and a table. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the engine. I knew pretty much right away, once I started tutoring professionally, once I graduated college, that this was going to be it for me. I, I don't know how I knew that exactly, but there, there are times when things just work. They just fit. They just, it's like you put on a perfect pair of shoes or, or like a perfect pair of slippers, right? Like Uggs. And you put your foot in and you're like, yes, this, this is it, baby. This is the right one. And and I just felt that. It was fantastic. When I was tutoring at Cal for several years, I really loved it, but obviously I wasn't making any money. And then I started tutoring privately, still loved it, started making some money. And, and I thought, this is it. I, I can see if I work really hard and get a full book of business and keep my clients happy, I can see making my way in the world like this. And I did. I did exactly just that. So about it took about a year and a half to get a full book of business, almost two years, and I then I had enough money that that I was living all right and and going forward in the world. And when you're 23, 24, and you reach that point and you're doing it on your own terms, doing the thing you love, it's fantastic. It's I can't describe it. If you've been there, then you understand. And I moved on. I moved on. I kept tutoring. I kept growing. I kept getting better and better and better. And I was tutoring for the SAT, and I had purchased a book, um, a workbook from uh, a an associate of mine, great guy, A&J Tutoring. If anybody's on the peninsula or anywhere around, A&J Tutoring's legit. But the point is that I, I took this book. I made it my own. I tweaked it, revised it, and now I had this book, and this is what I did. So for the next... Let's see, let's say 10, 11 years, I did nothing but tutor from that exact book. And let me tell you, I know that book and knew that book at the 11, 12 year mark so well, I could recite the entire book. I had an SAT book and an ACT book. I know where people make mistakes. I know what the mistakes are. I know where they misread questions. I know where they're likely to screw up. And if people don't screw up in very specific points, I know things about that student. The entire book, the entire book, every single question, every single sentence, I know what it means if you get it or you don't get it. And I know what it is. I don't even need to look at the book. I could recite the entire things with my eyes shut. And as such, I really started telling people, I'm like, oh, well, like a monkey could tutor for the SAT. Because for me, it was, it was that easy. It was that easy. I'm like, this is a really easy thing. And then people started saying, no, you know, Matt, it's not, it's not that easy. You're just really good at it. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Why, thank you. And it was, I mean, these were not people, you know, just trying to inflate my ego. They genuinely felt that I was good at tutoring. And look, I, I also think I'm a good tutor. But hearing them say that, change something with me thinking you know i do know this whole book like the back of my hand i i do know how well students are doing or they're not doing or, or what's going on with them i i understand that hmm i must be great well at around year 10 or 11 my wife and i had moved and i had built the table for our dining room because we didn't have a lot of money and so I, you know, went to Home Depot, bought some redwood, and built a table. 
And, and then I built another table. And I ended up going to a friend's birthday party. Um, oh, and she's one of my one of my older friends. She was turning, I believe, sixty. And uh, so I go to a birthday party and have a great time. And on the way, this person says, "Hey, I hear you build tables." And I said, "Yeah, I, I actually do." And I built a couple for other people. And they liked them. They said, "Hey, would you build me an outside table?" And I said, "Sure, <laughs> no problem." So this woman wanted a. 12 foot long, three inch thick exterior redwood table. She wanted upright legs that were six inches thick and four benches to go along with it. Now, this table was a monster. Okay, we, we had to transport in several pieces. It was huge. Uh, the, the guy I was transporting it with actually dropped it as we were taking it in the backyard just because he lost purchase. It was so dang heavy. So building this table was really serious. And this woman was paying me. She was paying me real money, and I, I always take it seriously. I took it seriously if I'm doing it free, but especially if somebody's saying, hey, I'm going to pay you for this, man. If I don't know what I'm doing and I don't feel confident with what I'm doing, I'm just a scammer. And I was not about to be a scammer with this lady who happened to be a friend of my dear friend. So I get after it and I'm doing what I normally do. Get the right pieces, you know, get the perfect cuts, all of the stuff, high quality wood. And as I'm putting it all together, I have a, I have a small question about one of the joints. So I get a hold of my uncle who, who had a mill works. Um, he would do custom cabinetry. And I say, hey, uh, Uncle Dave, um, I got this thing, got this project, I got this question. It was a very simple question, but his answer kind of terrified me because his answer led to like four more questions. And I was like, oh, oh, well, what about um, this, this, and this? And again, as I asked these questions, his answer led to all kinds of horrific scaries. It, it con uh, consider joints, okay? So you have one piece of wood running left to right and one piece of wood running front to back. You put those two pieces of wood together. They will not swell and contract at the same rate. So if you have that perpendicular, it's called a breadboard end. If you have that perpendicular piece of wood at the end of your table that runs perpendicular to the other boards, those are called boards in the field, then as the table expands and contracts with the heat and the cold, those boards will shift at a different rate. So if they're bolted together, that bolt that's holding it in place, that's the joint, right, where it's joined, that will actually get weakened because the boards are swelling and shrinking at different rates. If you have pieces of wood that are too wet, they're cut too recently, they're very green. That's what they're called, green. Even though it's a redwood, it's just they're full of sap. As they leach the sap out, they can warp and morph and twist. And if you have a piece in a very crucial point, that can change the entire shape of the table. If you have pieces of wood that have small cracks in them to begin with, those cracks may actually split the entire large piece of wood all the way down the center. Now, you can look for these things. You can check them out, the pieces of wood, if you have a very good eye for it. I didn't even look at the pieces of wood. They just got delivered. And I said, okay, great, here's the wood. Every time I had a question... 
it led to three, four, five more questions. And I, I started wondering, wait, how is this table going to hold up in direct sunlight versus in the shade? How is this table going to hold up on a dry, in a dry winter, or dry summer, wet winter? How is this table going to hold up with this particular stain? Is the table going to absorb the stain if there's too much sap? All of these things came flooding out. And I got the table done. And I got it done well. Okay, thankfully, it was a rather simple project. And I was able to, to confirm that the steps I was taking to, to ward off the, the main concerns that I should have as a table maker, I would confirm the steps I was taking and the steps I w- uh, was taking were appropriate. Here's the thing, though. I went in my life from having a decade of confirmed success and people saying, gosh, you're so great, and having that really affect the way I viewed myself to realizing how little I knew about these other things in the world. Now, if you asked me specifically about tutoring for the SAT or the ACT, I could crush that topic. I knew exactly what to tell you. I knew exactly what the problems were. Fine. And because I only surrounded myself with people concerned with the SAT and the ACT, it was never a problem. I never had to worry about it. And because of that, as I'm surrounded by people that constantly tell me, gosh, you're very bright and you know your stuff, I started to think, gosh, Matt, you're very bright. You know your stuff. But I didn't. In that, in that tiny venue I did. But in the rest of the world, the table-making world, the redwood table-making world, the redwood exterior table-making world. I didn't know my stuff. I, I figured it out, but good Lord, I didn't know anything about it. I haven't made a table sense for anyone because I realized my true lack of comprehension and understanding. And I think everything worked out fine with that table in part because I had my uncle to draw on and in part because I was just lucky. But the bottom line is the problem most of us run into is we self-select. We find the thing that we're competent at and we like doing and we do that thing a ton. We surround ourselves with people who value that thing. We surround ourselves with other people who do that thing. And we live in this funny little echo chamber where we're only experiencing the world in this very, very, very tiny way. And because of that, we start to feel very confident in ourselves. And I'm not saying we should all walk around thinking about how terrible we are, but it's a false confidence. It's not real. If I'm really good at math problems, that doesn't mean I'm a really good driver. If I'm really good at math problems, it doesn't mean that I know the ins and the outs of a bottle of wine. If I'm really good at math problems, it doesn't mean that I'm good at interpersonal relationships. We develop our sense of competence and confidence based on the things that we elect to do with our lives. And those are generally the things we're best at. But you need to offer yourself an opportunity to be grossly humbled on a regular basis. You need to offer yourself a real opportunity to do something that you care about and realize that you know very, very little. Because if you don't, you may end up 
rolling through the world thinking you're some awesome person and you're so great at all these things and then judging or thinking different things about other people who can't do what you do. Like, I'm so good at math problems. This table maker is not good at math problems. I guess I'm better than him. No, you're not, fool. No, you're not. I met a plumber once. He was 85. Don was his name. He was from England. He came over when he was 35 to the U.S. Don knew things about plumbing that almost no one on the West Coast knows. He knew how to use lead. He knew, he knew how to use uh, these asbestos wraps. He knew how to have a, have a kettle boiling over with, with metal that you pour into these different cracks and do these different... He knew things about that that when he passes away will be lost. And if I made the mistake of thinking that I was for some reason superior to Dawn because I could do averages or parabolas really well, I wouldn't have even taken the time to talk to Dawn. And what a loss that would have been for both of us. So offer yourself a chance to fail. Truly fail. Not high probability of success, maybe fail. Offer yourself a chance to fall flat in a way that's not going to harm you, but is meaningful. Try a new dish, cooking that you've never tried and screwed up. Try to make some art. Try to create something in some medium that you've never used before. Give yourself a chance. You'll have a far healthier and a far more realistic view of yourself. I'm Matt Todd, and this is you that drives me. Go out and crush it.